0: Rushing forth from the underhive like so much water broken loose from the sump. Rushing through the
1: hive, spraying through the sump. We are
0: the artillery spray <laughs> of rebellion. 665.66 UHMR, at Radio. Coming to you live tonight from the Devil's Comet Distillery with the owner and manager of the Glacial Marauders himself, Ickbard. Hi,
1: I definitely didn't, you know, deserve this. <laughs> deserve um, this, this is 100% bought and paid for. And this is daddy punishing me for... Uh, Going to my summer home. Uh, I'm no longer dealing with pure water. I'm dealing with distilled spirit water. What
0: is a summer home?
1: What is um, summer? Well, you visited it. Remember when we went? Remember there was Carl? He loves llamas and croissants. He's my doormat. I told you to, you know, wipe your feet on him before you entered my, my prison cell. So remember, I wasn't going to jail again. So I went to that to that side ward. Do you guys not remember the last three years of lore I've been building? <laughs> This is to you, the viewer. I'm pointing at you. <laughs>
0: I'm pointing at you. You, the listener. The listener. You, the listener.
1: <laughs> Are you not entertained
0: by the weave I have crafted? Oh, well, um, well, I swear I'm not being held here against my will. See, Ickbard even let me keep my plasma guns. I, I'm your host today, Goblin King. And uh, and I'm joined by my very special guest, the Baron of all things Clean Water himself, Ickbard. You get to be the big spoon tonight. You read that very well. <laughs> i also like the insinuation that you only have your position because your dad's forcing you to be the boss he's like like perfect perfect spire kid i don't want to run the company i have to run the company
1: Listen, I just want to take selfies with my murdered victims on Hive's to okay?
0: Hive's <laughs> Well, some book went I, under. Some book, yeah. yeah well, you know, some book just didn't track as well as uh, I can't think of a TikTok one. Damn it. Uh, oh, Simp Sump. Yeah. I, had, I
1: had one. I had one like Simp, listening Simp to Sump?
0: The, Simp Sump. Simp Sump. Yeah, Simp Sump. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> TikTok. That that TikTok is the one that the mechanicus really likes, right? Because it's a clock. Yes. So it's got to be like clog, cog, cog, cog time. <laughs> click-cock. Click cock, click cock, click cock. That's a different website, sir.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, if you okay, bear with me, bear with me. You know, they drill off parts of their body so that meat is going in a in a circular motion. So it the meat spinning. So
0: if we we call it meat spin. <laughs> and then there's onlysump.com. It, Only the Sump. new sphere at a certain level is just you don't, you don't have to be lonely at <laughs>
1: hiversonly.org. <laughs> you got
0: to we got like and always remember to use Arconia VPN mask your traffic from your from your Arbides provider, Newsphere provider. <laughs> is the ISP Innsmouth Service Provider? <laughs> yes, Innsmouth Service Provider. That's exactly what ISP is. Well, welcome to Under the Hive of Madness, episode 96. This is our third Sanguinilla special. And as tradition, I am joined today by Iqbard as my Hi. guest co-host. And we're going to talk a little bit about Space Marines, that thing that we don't talk about on the podcast. (laughs) So as we've been covering the early history of the Imperium the Horus Heresy, we're looking to establish a lore bedrock for our future looks into the Adaptus Mechanicus and the Space Marine factions. We've been teasing out little tidbits of Space Marine lore the entire time. Talking about the original twenty founding legions, as we covered. Don't you mean eighteen? As we covered in the Unification Wars, the Crusade, and now the Heresy. Although we have yet to dive headlong into the conspiracy theories surrounding the second and eleventh legions.
1: No, they They're, don't exist.
0: <laughs> they'll get their own. They'll get their own non-existent series to
1: cover their non-existent. <laughs> exactly. I think. I think it was an inside job.
0: It was one hundred percent an inside job. <laughs> No singular faction has as much diversity or lore as the Space Marines as they make up the core of the 40K universe. The lore as it is presented almost always comes from the perspective of the Imperium. And Space Marines exist somewhere between warrior monks and demigods in the eyes of the Imperium citizenry. They're both our lens into the world through the majority of the Black Library releases and almost entirely the subjects of the Horus Heresy books themselves. Some of the other Black Library books, especially recently, have branched away from Space Marine-centric stories. And obviously, there's a lot of stuff with Dan Abnett that deals with either the Inquisition or with the Imperial Guard. But I would say probably 75% of the Black Library releases are Space Marine-centric stories. And then, of course, the entire Horace Heresy itself, with the exception of maybe like 10 books, are focused on Space Marines.
1: And Just saying they're also we're waiting for that Votan uh, book. We still don't right, have it. Right. They've dropped uh, three writers. I, maybe that means three books will happen. No, no, no. Same book. They're on no, the no, fourth I, writer now.
0: I'm I'm being optimistic. I'm thinking that the others got disapproved and now they're spinoff stories, sir. <laughs> you know what? Fuck Positivity. It, <laughs> One day we will have squat lore in book form and the leagues of Votan book will be twice as thick as it is because we'll have a full army and more lore not that either Ick or i play leagues of Votan and have a vested interest in seeing the army expand <laughs> kevin too actually he doesn't count he's uh he's painting up his guys right now i think he posted some pictures but but he's not here so we can make fun of him space he's marines are for also, that last artillery barrage right space marines are also the iconic symbol of warhammer 40k it's pretty hard to find somebody in the geek sphere that doesn't know the unmistakable silhouette of powered armored warriors and immediately know that's a space marine and immediately know it's from warhammer 40k in fact that iconic symbol of Warhammer 40k has influenced other video games, other properties in the science fiction gaming world.
1: Money have influenced Dune.
0: Yes. Dune it- influenced. Wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm I was trying hoping. to agree with you sarcastically and I fucked it up. <laughs> no, it's fine.
1: I'm just hoping that. Somehow it does go full circle. Eh, I mean,
0: it, it, it'd be interesting. It, the way it'll become full circle is when people that participated in making the new Dune movies end up making stuff with Henry Cavill want to be the
1: people who that... work with Henry Cavill work on Dune stuff?
0: No, cuz the Dune movies are already out and the Henry Cavill Amazon deal got officially announced like a it couple did. of days ago.
1: Not to date ourselves.
0: Not yeah, not not to put a date on when the episode dropped, but when this episode comes out a couple of days before Christmas. Man, not to
1: date the Christmas episode. <laughs> not to date the Christmas,
0: episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> I say to go, "Wait, hold on. Hold on. Wait a minute. Speaking of, during the season in which the Imperium celebrates the sacrifices of the angel Sanguinius, Ick and I wanted to talk about our favorite legions and then our favorite chapters. But what is the difference between a legion and a chapter, Ickbard? I feel that only you are capable of answering this question.
1: Well, the difference between a legion and a chapter is um, a legion is when you have like two loving parents in a relationship. A chapter (laughs) is like after the divorce, and like you get half the toys.
0: Yes. That's a really
1: good way. Of... <laughs> but but in in reality, um a, a legion is much bigger. When we look at Space Marine chapters nowadays though, they are very concise and tightly wound. And there's about three different asterisks you put on that. Hold on, don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> but the chapters are supposed to be structured With a limit on their size to not exceed a thousand. This was because Primarch Rabutzi Gilliman of the Ultramarines wanted to make a book, a guide, a, a guideline that, not a guideline. We're not pirates who treat the rules like guidelines. He's treating guidelines like gospel. He made the Codex Astartes. He wanted to prevent the Horus heresy from happening again. So he went to all the different surviving legions that are loyalist and said, this is the way we got to do it. The hypothetical in his mind, we need to limit the damage, the theoretical. And the practical was we have a rule book. And if we all follow the rules and we dissipate that power and not just space Marines, this happened across the board.
0: Yeah. The military in general.
1: Yeah. Solar, solar auxilia fractured as well. Um, Mechanicum kind of still did their own thing, but they've been scattered because their power has been fragmented through the Imperium as a whole as well. Unilaterally, it was spreading out that strength to accommodate all threats without overwhelming each other. Like, what happened? Uh, The reason they did this is no one wanted to have another Horus. Nobody wanted that to
0: happen. And and on either side, so so Ick brought up that the Imperial Guard, or the Imperial Army, is a product. The Imperial, yeah, is now a product of this as well. That's why we have the Imperial Guard. That the Imperial, the Solar Auxilia used to be, the Imperial Infantry, Guard,
1: your Air Force, your Navy, your Logistics, your, Navy, your all Transport, together.
0: and now it's all separate. And it is the, the Transport It's same, same not reason. answer to the guy anymore. Yep. Transport exactly. has a different dude, and that way you never have one guy in charge, except. Boot. <laughs> yeah, except you know
1: but sometimes there's that that Sisera battle who uh that Sabathiel coming around to go, well she kind of makes sense, and people just flock, but you know, cults of personality, emphasis on yeah. cults. But we have a much more agile and reactionary force now. Instead of having uh one captain for a chapter equivalent, uh now sending out Three different guys to do X, Y, z. we have sorry, inverse that and so now we have a guy who has ten chapters. each of them have a specific role and could be sent out to do something necessary without overdoing it or underdoing it compared to the legions where there is this vast command structure that you need a demigod to organize and mentally you know be there for. The Primarchs can know a Space Marine's name just by staring at them because it's all locked in there because they are supercomputers with feelings and daddy issues. And when you don't have that support structure, let's say you're part of the Iron Hands, well, you can't logistically run like that anymore. Yeah, see my Celestial Lions on there. For three, six, or nine dollars, you can look at the best successor (laughs) legion. So now we have these much more compact, more Agile chapters that are in a more of a sense of brotherhood and camaraderie in theory. Instead of being, this is our club, fuck you, kind of thing. It's less of a, a big gang of people coming together to then exert their pressure, depending on a Primark's, um personality flaws. And now it's more measured. And that's what Rebutte Gilliman wanted. Yeah, compared to the original 20 Space Marine Legions, they were limitless in size. They had no restrictions on how many they could get and how fast they can grow. As long as they had the resources, they had the de facto power to say more. And more they would get. Uh, they would get more no matter what. Uh, however, this meant people who had gene seed defect uh defection defections defectivity any
0: defect i point to yeah, you the, oh yeah the any defects in a gene that seed that one <laughs> the i'm word. trying to help you with the word but i'm as bad with words as you are right now
1: <laughs> here's my reason why i can't say stuff i didn't i wasn't dropped when i was a kid i was shot out like a fucking cannon and i hit something that's <laughs> that explains everything okay the defects for your gene seed no longer being um Taken as highly of a problem to deal with, if you're trying to make a quantity a quality of its own, you're not going to get the best, and it's going to run rampant. Problems that could have been a minor trickle become an overnight disaster. For a common day example, um, if you look at any producers of like factories or farms that produce high quantities of food, you'll have once in a blue moon, an end mass recall. Because of the amount of food being produced without that oversight, because of the quantity and you know the eventual odds just saying something bad is going to happen.
0: Yeah, you, just, you have a quality control issue. When, you, when you're not taking the amount of time that the emperor was taking to produce a marine, which was, a, I think, like 10 years. And of course, he'd produce like 200,000 at a time. But when yeah, you're not doing that, when you're producing a marine in a year, <laughs> you're, you're compounding the problem. Any any tiny in quality control, as somebody who does quality control um, for my job, it's amazing how small of a defect can actually have a massive problem on the final product. Like you wouldn't think that a couple of millimeters off would matter, but by the time you know, if you're a couple of millimeters off at the beginning of the process, and there are thirty steps, by the time you're at step thirty, that Potential problem has magnified 30 times to get to your point.
1: Yeah, and exactly. Those problems would magnify. And if you actually read the first Siege of Terra book, there is a section being seen by a fresh recruit for the Sons of Horus as they're invading Jupiter and all the other planetary forces on the outer part of the solar system. They were talking about how there's these random people they have never seen before. People that are taken from the streets, urchins, random people, kids of people who were just slaughtered and then brought in. They are now being thrown en masse as bodies, not because they're space marines and they're capable, because they have enough good stuff in them with just the right amount of armor to be annoying to deal with when the actual threat comes.
0: Yeah, I remember that scene very clearly now that you mention it.
1: Yeah, it was it was such an eye opening scene because it's like. That became pretty much the standard for Chaos Space Marines because they lost their their supply chains. But going on from that, legions were the older structure that were founded by the Emperor and then given to the Primarchs to take care of. In general, you had minimum 100,000 Space Marines in strength. And yeah. as we said, it's only going to get larger. Chapters, however, are a post-Heresy creation. And... Reboot Gilman is at fault. For good or for bad, it's his fault. They are limited by a thousand Marines in strength, ten chapters. You know, you could do the math there. And then you have your, like, HQ-esque people, the leaders of various divisions that kind of fit outside that mold. At least that's the way it's interpreted from what they show in the codex
0: yeah and that's kind of where the numbers get fudged you can have a thousand marines and like you would think on the surface okay that means there's a thousand dudes no that means that there's a thousand battle line marines so your lieutenants that, your captains a hundred of, the, of them are scouts official right scout yeah um and and those are just yeah so so your lieutenants and your captains don't necessarily have to be Part of that 1,000. Your tech marines don't have to be part of that 1,000 because they're not technically battle line marines. They're tech marines. Think workforce versus administration. Yeah, exactly. Um, But at the end of the day, even the administration of a space marine chapter can technically fight. It's a weird number because how would you ever enforce it? As an example, there are at least 32 chapters that we know of that have been at, at this early date, at this second founding is what it's called when, when the, this chapter hierarchy was made. 32 of those chapters from the second founding are ultramarines. And those ultramarine second founding chapters are loyal to the ultramarine chapter. So is it really 33 separate chapters? Or is it actually- Or is it actually... 33 guys in a trench coat? yeah exactly like are they how how quickly could they all be the same chapter again and and you know anyway with the imperium secundus and the
1: ultramar system uh right perfect example as well the imperial fists they have their blood games or i think it's the blood games that might be the custodians um or they have they have a they have a tradition where all the imperial Fists successors meet with the imperial fists and they send the representatives and they do these yearly games whether it's sword fighting competitive karaoke i don't know just whatever the hell competitive sword karaoke? Contest. <laughs> yeah it's, you know, it's it's really just we're recreating eight mile uh, but, it, but yeah they the imperial fists have a tradition of getting together talking amongst another Sharing information and showing their solidarity as brothers first and foremost. That's that's not in Rabouteau Ilmen's will. That's yeah. not what he wanted at all. Yeah. And he kind of turned a blind eye to his Imperium Secundus, anyways. So fair is fair. That's true.
0: The the other big thing that and and the legions did it too, but it's more of a hallmark of modern 40k and of the chapter structure. Uh, because it's treated differently, is the gene seed tithe. So the legions... So so it, Space Marine has two progenoid glands that are implanted in them. There's one in their neck and the other is at the base of their spine. No, there's one in their neck and there's another at the top. Yeah, yeah at the, the base of their head, the base of your spine. So there's one in your neck and the front. And there's like the one
1: thyroid in... area?
0: Yeah. So the thyroid one is removed in a medical procedure When you go from being a scout into being a full space marine. And that one is kept, well, um, and those, that one is kept for the production of future space marines. The one that's at the base of the skull, the top of the spine, is harvested upon death. And that's also kept for the production of future space marines. However, each chapter has to give a percentage of their collected gene seed yearly to the Administratum and the High Lords of Terra. And that's so the Administratum and the High Lords of Terra can raise new chapters whenever they need to. And this kind of assures a couple of things. One of the things that is assures is is that the chapter won't rampantly grow, uh, exponentially grow. Because if you think about exponential growth, if every marine gives you two progenoid glands, that means your second, one marine becomes two marines, two marines become four marines, four marines become eight marines, eight marines become 16 marines. And it doesn't take long before you're breaking a thousand at that level. And the second part of it is that that means that some of these chapters, the Minotaurs being an example, are going to be more loyal to the High Lords of Terra and the administratum than they are to whoever their whoever the founding chapter was. Because you address the, the f-
1: weird thing about the founding chapters. If you have someone who branches off from a successor chapter to right. make a new chapter, they don't mention the successor chapter they came from. They only talk about the founding chapters they came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. You
0: don't you don't have like 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 celestial lions uh successor chapter, the the rabbit beavers the rabbit beavers the, <laughs> I the astral beaver the astral beavers right the star beavers um what you've got is you've got they go back to whatever the founding chapter is yeah and i think that's because the gene seed is still technically like for instance i don't i can't are the celestial lions imperial fist successors
1: they are imperial fist successors
0: okay they're one of the unknown foundings the gene seed is still technically dorns yes however the actual kernel is still technically dorns
1: the kernel is dorns but there's a lot to be said and shown of each successor chapter taking on a certain image of that successor so if you're taking like you're talking about that millimeters of difference if you're taking that tweaked kernel and then you're attributing
0: to something else it's gonna drift i get i get where you're coming from it's gonna drift they, over time
1: they, they they exterminatus like gene seed of of successor chapters that turn uh heretical
0: they say they do fair fair there's there's actually evidence in lore to suggest that um uh, well there's chimeric gene seed and chimeric oh, gene seed is when they use two gene seeds and there's a couple of chimeric luna wolves gene seeds the luna wolves I think post heresy books kind of became the like, let's play with them a lot. Um, And I I have, I have weird feelings. I like the idea of chimeric gene seed because I think it lets you do fun things, but I also think it's kind of a cop out because I, I think it also lets you like choose the best of two, like ignore the bad parts of both, but choose the best parts of both, which I think is like a, I don't know. I mean, that's
1: Primaris bad. Gene Seed. Primaris Gene Seed is all
0: 20 legions. Yeah, it's all 20. Re- yeah, exactly. And, and Primaris Gene Seed, um, Primaris Marines don't really know. Well, new ones do. But the original Primaris Marines didn't know who they were from. They were literally all just called gray shields. They Hashtag were pulled from one babies. of the 20, but nobody knew which of the 20 until yeah, they were the assigned. Babies. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I, that's an interesting point. I like that. Like, why don't you refer to who you're a direct successor from?
1: Yeah, because it, 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 it definitely modifies it.
0: Yeah, it's especially over time. It's going to tweak it over time.
1: I, I mean, don't do it for those who have an unknown. Like, there's a lot of unknown founding ones. But like, right. the ones that we do know which founding, I feel like it'd be like a little subset, you know? Right. And I think right. that'd make a lot of difference. And I think that could build a really cool lore thing, where all of a sudden, Ark! Our chapters, like, let, let's say, Fletcher Lions were a White Scar successor. You have right. a White Sar, a Scar successor. We have a, like, a family tree of another successor chapter. We're like, we're, it's like, all of a sudden, we can have something really cool there, like a crusade or something like that
0: yeah and i wonder i wonder why they made i i'm sure they made the decision to do it the way that they made to do it just to like keep things as easy as possible but uh, like the other thing is that the chapter from a gameplay perspective the reason that the chapter sequence exists is because nobody is collecting a legion size force most normal people are not (laughs) collecting a legion size And, and the second thing is that way, if you're a new player or, or even a player who's been in for a while, you can immediately make your own force and basically like inject yourself into the game and you can come up with whatever you want. And then they, they give you the 18 known primarchs to choose from as like a template to start. Like, here's the template. This is Why do your guys follow this battle doctrine? Oh, because they're Ultramarine successor chapter, and then you're good. You can just like kind of move on. Like that's the that's the sales tactic way, I guess, of looking at it. Like if you wanted to, I guess that's the only real financier's
1: guide to Warhammer.
0: Yeah, essentially, that's that's the business reason that this system was made. Um, and it it, it's cool. I mean, it lets you do a whole lot a whole lot of stuff. It's it's the reason that the second and eleventh legions existed back in the day of the second and 11th legions was the exact same reason you could join the game and if you didn't want to play one of the 18 that were specified you could make up your own legion and just insert it in uh, as one of the lost legions yeah shout out to the space sharks if you go
1: on to the you know three six or nine dollars ladies and gentlemen if you join in you'll see there's a, a chapter actually called space sharks i thought that was a meme no the chapter insignia is literally just a shark floating towards you,
0: like Jaws 3D. There are so many on the screen right now. <laughs> so bottom center, very bottom center. Bottom center. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's literally just a shark floating at you.
0: Yeah. And it's I not like a shark. Can...
1: A shark floating it's... directly at you is probably the most, it's the least
0: threatening way to show off a shark. To be terrified, yeah. Uh, and it's not the Karkaradons. I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about the Karkaradons later. But yeah, it, that's not the Karkaradons.
1: Yeah, everyone says, Porse. shout out to all three Space Shark players out there who keep getting like misappropriated for the wrong chapter.
0: <laughs> uh, obviously, there's a lot more detail that we'll get into with the entire process of how the Codex, the Stardust got written by Raboot Gilliman and all of that as we continue our coverage of the Horus Heresy. But Ick, that's a great summary, and it's something to kind of keep in mind as we look first at our favorite legions.
1: Hell yeah!
0: And I'm going to start off with the best legion ever, and nobody's here to argue with me.
1: Oh, I'm here to <laughs> argue with you,
0: bitch. <laughs> are you going to pull a chuck? You are going to pull a chuck. <laughs> um, actually. Um, actually.
1: No, I can admit so when Dorn does something
0: wrong. mine's probably pretty obvious since i've talked a little bit about my 30k army in past episodes but i'm a white scars guy to give you guys a quick rundown of the white scars they were originally named the star hunters and they were the fifth legion founded on terra they were to serve as the emperor's pathfinders for the great crusade organized into small, highly mobile units that served ahead of other legions during the last conflicts of the Unification Wars and the early conflicts of the Great Crusade. A lot of the legions fought together. The White Scars were known for their vanguard tactics and as being essentially like advanced fighters. They're highly mobile, their hit and run tactics, that's all their bag. So they would actually be given to other legions to fight in front of them. To go in and do the lightning attack, you know, you hit, devastate the enemy, and pull back. And then the enemy is kind of reeling, wondering what's happening. And then the imperial fists show up and just steam plow everything that's left. And it's
1: that's 40K equivalent of someone riding their bike past you and just whacking you on the back of the head.
0: Right, exactly. <laughs> and during the Great Crusade, as I mentioned, they would continue to be used in this highly mobile method of war, being seen as the swift and silent blade rather than the overwhelming sledgehammer of some of the other legions. The Star Hunters were reunited with their Primarch, Jakatai Khan, when the Great Crusade reached the world of Chagoris. Jakatai having been the only warlord in Chagoras's history to conquer and unite all of the war clans of the world's great steppe tribes under one banner. And then he turned that unified army against the city dwellers of Chagoras, and he wiped the cities off the planet. Save me, Step tribe. (laughs) Right. Chagoras is a fertile world made up of great plains, high mountains, and blue seas, which by the time of the Great Crusade had reached a late medieval or early renaissance period. I had mentioned before that one of the interesting things about the Space Wolves is they're one of the only legions that when their planet was rediscovered, they were still very much in the Iron Age. And I know yeah. that it's a weird statement to make because a lot of the planets that the Primarchs came from were in their medieval stages, but there's a big difference between the end of the Bronze Age and the beginning of the Iron Age, which is a lot closer to what we in modern society look at as being the Stone Age and the medieval era. And a lot of the other planets, the Dark Angels, for instance, the White Scars, for instance, they come from a little bit more of a like Arthurian, uh, not Arthurian, Ar- King Arthur. There's a name for that. Arthurian. Arthurian. Thank you. They come from much more of an Arthurian time period of medieval mindset. They don't come from like early Roman. Triply e so for the Dark Angels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100% Arthurian legend right there. And that, that's where the white scars were. The white or the, the star hunters, the way that Chagaris was when they found it. It was late medieval period, early Renaissance. So you're, we're talking like 1600s, essentially. If you've ever played the Assassin's Creed games, the time period that the Assassin's Creed games take place.
1: That's in. your da forense.
0: <laughs> I was thinking of the first one. Um, the, oh,
1: Altair. During Altair the thank
0: you. Yeah. A world the Khan had complete control over by the time the Imperium arrived. And this, this had not been something. He was the first Khan to unite the entire world and all of that. The Chagoras people were a very traditional high-steps nomad, which means that they have a very rich and deep warrior culture, and almost all of it revolves around horses, using horses in combat, using horses for transport, all of that. It's very, very easy And a very, very good comparison to say that the white scars are based on the Mongolian Empire. And they really are.
1: No, no, that's preposterous. Totally.
0: Never. So one of the interesting things about the Mongolian Empire is the Mongolian Empire was actually the largest empire on ancient Terra. This is something that I kind of knew, but not something I had a huge knowledge of. Um, And they were fucked up. I read some, it was a very short-lived empire. But like the Mongolian Empire was massive. It was essentially all of China, all of India, all of Mongolia, all the way up to the borders of the Roman Empire. Um, In fact, the repercussions of the Mongolian Empire led to the dynasties of China that we know of in modern culture, essentially. And a bunch of other, like all the ripple effects that came from this just massive amount of territory that Genghis Genghis Khan took over. And that's kind of it's the same idea. Jakatai Khan takes over the entire planet, he unifies all of it. Um, Again,
1: followed the way that the Mongols did in history because the Mongols had a very, very efficient but fucked up way of taking control of everything. Basically, oh, yeah. You could be my puppet state, but if you resist for like a moment, I will literally kill everyone. Uh, I forget the name of the city, but the numbers were done because they they repelled the Mongolians. They actually won. And then they opened their gates to trade, and the Mongolians said, we'll honor your peace agreement. And then they came in that night, and they killed everyone except like 100 dudes to basically write this shit down for what we just did to you. Yeah, And the the math was every soldier had to kill about 400 men, women, and children combined. One to 400 in a slaughter that lasted overnight.
0: Yeah. Well, and, like, and I mean, the Mongolians got to, I can't remember the name of the city, but the Mongolians got to a trade city on the Mediterranean and the trade city wouldn't open its gates because they had heard of the Mongols. And the Mongols were like, oh, well, we've got some dudes dying of some disease we've never seen before. And they shot those bodies over the wall in a canapult. And then the Black Death the first black death they ravaged brought it to Europe, ravaged Europe, it, the Mongolian. I mean, the Mongolians did it, but the Mongolians did it like and and the first case of biological warfare. It's just it, the Mongol Empire had such a profound effect on history as it is. Anyway, I'm getting into like why I like the white scar.
1: This is the so reason the, why it's fucked up shit. That's kind of baller in 40k,
0: right? They were renamed the White Scars by Jakatai as a reference to a phrase in the Chagorian language, which I can't remember. However, that phrase also sounds very similar to word white scar in Logothic. If I remember correctly, the term actually has to do a little bit more with like how wheat passes over or passes through your hand or how wind passes through wheat. That's what the actual like Chagoris word that sounds like white scar means. It has to do with like their method of warfare. They pass through the wheat. You know, they separate as they pass through. That's what it actually means. That's pretty baller. Yeah. But in Logothic, it sounds like white scars. And since the Legion performs ritual scarification, the name stuck in the mind of the Imperiums as a whole for that different reason. It's a great
1: time to remind everyone that allegedly, Bulgrim was supposed to land on Tregoris with all the ritual body
0: fuck-up modifications. Keep that in mind for later, ladies and gentlemen. There is a couple of like... Primarchs were supposed to end up on different planets. Oh, Kegarok. When the Khan took command of the Legion, the Star Hunters had been extremely far flung among the stars. As we mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, it's because a lot of times they were actually running vanguards for other Legion's assaults. And much like the tribes of his homeworld, Jakatai needed to bring them all together into a distinct battle group. And these separate battle groups referred to themselves as brotherhoods. And this was actually something that he allowed them to keep. Um, the White Scars don't organize as companies. They organize as brotherhoods, and they all organize under a different Khan. And all of those Khans swear fealty to Jakatai. And it's a very specific, like just different structure. But basically, to get to the point, is, is that unlike some of the other legions, the Khan specifically wanted to intermix all of his Terraborn White Scars with all of his Chagoras White Scars, making sure that they saw themselves as one cohesive army. Even if they kept their separate brotherhoods, they would still see the company that they worked with as being all people of Chagoris. even if they were Terranborn. It was really, really important to him that they were one force rather than what happened in a lot of other cases where the Terranborn kind of always had this separate but equal status and, and not separate but equal lesser than separate but equal kind of greater than status depending on the legion, that the Terran Oren were kind of revered differently. They were they were hated and revered at the same time. It was, it's kind of weird. And the Khan didn't want that. He wanted to make sure that they all fit with one another and they all worked out. And a lot of these traditions that were established have reflected into the modern day 40K look of both the White Scars chapter and most of its successors. It's really easy to tell most of the successor chapters from the White Scars because they very much are still White Scars. Um, it's almost like a brotherhood of White Scars got big enough and they got their own chapter. It's a little bit less like they made a chapter from White Scars. It's, it's kind of an opposite way of getting to the same place. While the warriors of the White Scars are fierce and savage, they are also refined with arts and the traditions passed down by Jakatai, and they are tempered and bound by honor and justice. So they're seen as these savage, fierce warriors that do these lightning strikes and are more apt to cut you down than have a conversation with you. They're more apt to murder the firstborn males of a city to force compliance than they are to come to the table and talk to you. But they're also masters in calligraphy. They know... The they they know and follow and continue to practice some of the ancient art, like plays and stuff of Terra and stuff like that. So they've got this like dual sided coin.
1: And just for Kevin, because I know he'll say it if if he was here, and they have that amazing throat singing
0: thing. (laughs) Yeah, that heavy metal side. They're also known for being very reclusive from the Imperium as a whole. When they joined the Imperium, they always kept to themselves. They always kind of stepped away and stepped aside. The Khan was ready to found his own empire at the drop of a hat. He didn't necessarily like what was happening in the empire, and he always kind of kept all of his brother Primarchs at arm's length, and he kind of even kept the Emperor at arm's length in fact malkador came to jackatai at one point and told him you need to probably keep your storm seers doing what they're doing because we might need them to be what they are later and you might want to look at talking to your brothers and figuring out which of your brothers also utilize more uh warp magic essentially Uh, because of this there's a lot of traditions and superstitions in the White Scars that kind of seem to fly in the face of the Imperial truth. They also didn't necessarily follow the C- Council of Nicaea's edicts to the letter. They are one of the chapters that kind of didn't listen. They're also kind of one of the chapters that didn't really listen to the Codex of Stardes when it came out.
1: It's weird because the Codex Astartes kind of fits the way that they were originally. A bunch of clustered out, fragmented dudes yeah. in small numbers going out and just raiding people that sounds exactly like what you would want on the you know the eye of terror nowadays
0: yeah they followed it the way they wanted to follow it they didn't follow it the way that roboot wanted them to follow it
1: just like uh, how the space wolves did it with their thir- 13 hunting groups
0: exactly exactly because of this the white scars were seen as an outlier during the heresy and their separatist nature and a lot of their traditions seem to put them a little bit more in line with horace's Horus and Logar's forces than the Emperor. But at the end of the day, that same rebellious streak that ran through the Space Wolves also touched the White Scars. And in both cases, both of them sided with the Emperor. They sided with loyalty and the Emperor. The rebellious streak wasn't necessarily rebellion against the Emperor. It was just a rebellious streak, which is a big difference. You know, it's not, I hate you, dad. It's a, I want to be my own person. Let me be my own person. Yeah, it's um,
1: chaotic good if you to take the alignment yeah. chart of, of memes for it. like D- D&D, yeah,
0: yeah. I like it. And, and then, as you mentioned, there's a lot of similarities between the Space Wolves and the White Scars, and even the Luna Wolves, to a certain perspective. There's a lot of crossover between those three legions. Their colors are white and red, with a little bit of gold thrown in. This hasn't changed at all since their founding a, which is pretty rare. Most of the Space Marine armies, that whatever their colors were when they were their original name, their colors changed when they adopted their new name. And in a lot of cases, even through you know the years marching towards, they've changed. The Ultramarines are another example of a of a legion that their colors really haven't changed their entire time. But in a lot of other cases, there are distinct differences, or the chapter has changed the chapter doesn't have the original legion colors there's just little tweaks here and there they don't use the standard Astartes company and squad markings instead the right leg holds a pattern in red which indicates their company and the left knee holds a design also in red that indicates their squad these patterns are normally in the form of lightning bolts their squads carry specialty symbols like battle line close support fire support veteran and command like the rest of the Astartes. And they use the standard symbols on the right shoulder pad. Although sometimes the right shoulder pad, the right aldroon is painted entirely red. And in the cases where it's painted entirely red, the symbol is white. In the cases where it's white, it's red. Pretty simple. Certain helmets also hold tribal markings and paint jobs, but these are also not readily legible to any outside of the chapter and might signify anything from veteran status to number of kills and even specific battle honors. So unlike most other chapters where like red helmets mean this red helmet with white means this or whatever, the white scars helmets have nothing to do with like rank or position on the field that it's literally just whatever is important to them.
1: And that's a lot about chapter formation. It's all about the razzle dazzle.
0: It's all about the razzle dazzle. So I was initially drawn to them for a few different reasons. First off, as you guys probably got as I was talking about their history, I have a very big interest in the real world history of the Mongolian Empire and especially this time period. Uh, The fall of the Bronze Age, the rise of the Iron Age and into like the, the middle medieval period is something that's always been a little bit more interesting to me than any other time period. I realize that's a huge stretch of time. I also think that there's a lot of romance that comes out of the idea of horsebound people, people that live their life in the saddle. Um, I mean, we see it with stories like this, and we see it with cowboys of the American West. from Or uh, table
1: or um, uh, messengers, people who right. write
0: off in the night, bards. What do they yeah. write
1: off in? What do knights and paladins in fiction, what do they call upon?
0: They're, they're noble steeds. And I worked as a ranch hand for the first four years of my working life. So I have a lot of like connection to the history and a lot of connection to like the idea of like horse warriors, uh, from a tabletop angle, I'm a huge fan of the in your face, swift attack actions, even if it's not the way to play my army. (laughs) Um, I'm just a very aggressive player. And I like the fact that the white scars kind of like get in there, hit, fall back, get in there, hit again. It's, it's all about that cycle just constantly pushing that super aggressive tendency, pushing your, your opponent where you want them. Um, yep. However, as I've gotten a lot deeper into the lore, I'm finding that my personality and, uh, and a lot of other things really kind of mesh with a lot of this stuff too. It's interesting how like, when you kind of finally choose a chapter, in a lot of ways, you you start to notice stuff. So we, we know my favorite legion. What is your favorite legion, sir?
1: It's the Alpha Legion. Uh, it's Imperial Fists.
0: I'm actually Legion. surprised you didn't do Alpha Legion, to tell you the truth.
1: I, I I love Alpha Legion. They're a close second to the Imperial Fists.
0: It's like me and the Luna Wolves.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it sh- it's just there. But there's just this... There's just something... I, I just think it's neat. There, there's some fun lore about the Imperial Fists that we'll
0: get into in a little bit.
1: We'll do it now. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> it, we'll do it live.
0: <laughs> so... This is your moment, sir.
1: <laughs> this is my moment! What? How? I don't know how that song goes. So, the Imperial Fists are the 7th Legion. 7th Legion is very interesting. They stayed the Imperial Fists from their inception. Uh, there's actually not... There's, there's an oddly detailed but small amount of information about the Imperial Fists during the Unification Wars. During the Unification Wars... Uh, You can actually see that their armor was a dull steel uh, color, but the shoulder pad in the right arm was, you know, the Imperial Fist, yellow and black. Um, The important thing to note, uh, more for the modern day uh, chapter equivalent of them, uh, the trim on the shoulder pads defines which company they're in. Uh, That's their marker for it. Otherwise... Uh it's your standard de facto black trim everywhere else. Um Got it. Imperial Fists are interesting. They are they're the only chapter Legion at this point, sorry, who have uh who override any de facto recruitment from the home continents of Terra. They can grab from everywhere and anyone, regardless of who has what land claim. For their legions while they were being built, so you could have an Imperial Fist uh, who is from the Himalayas. You could have uh, uh an Imperial Fist from Mercia, You can, and they'll be hanging out together, you know, drinking, you know, whatever Unfor- they would drink. Un-
0: unfortunately, I have now heard it pronounced several times, and it's uh, it's uh, it's the original way that I used to pronounce it, not America? Mercia. Mer- yeah, America. Fuck I'm a yeah. Di- a little disappointed
1: i mean i just america fuck yeah but you know mercia that's that's yeah. our thing i say our that's... like i did anything to cause it
0: <laughs> in spirit you were here i'm sure with the mercia it feel it feels like a My joke violently you would have pro-American standard you, you would have yeah you would have jumped behind it immediately if you had been in, i would in have that episode. i would have made a banner <laughs> and then flown it during a hurricane and lightning strikes while headbanging yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: my hair is too short right now due to the head banging. Three six nine. You can see that I'm almost as bald as uh, Ryan.
0: I uh, yeah. I'm not by coverage, but by I shave my head. So yes, I
1: am quite. Walter White and uh, well another guy, but obviously he. Howie Mandel. There we go.
0: (laughs) You know, there's only so many times you can be told you're losing your hair before you say fuck it and just shave it off. That's
1: I don't. I'm not losing my hair. I threw it away. Small difference. But uh, uh, uh. they were they were active in the Unification Wars. Um, not too much about them uh, beyond that. Their Primarch, Rogel Dorn, is an interesting story. Because despite being a very pragmatic, solid, steady person, there's very little we actually know about their planet. It is a death world. It is an ice world called Inwit. It is a tidally locked death world which means the planet doesn't rotate it's perpetually night perpetually day uh might be misremembering that
0: but no that's tidally tidally locked means one side is
1: no i, I might be misremembering if inwit is or not but i believe oh it is. got you um th- th- you there's fact really not you. a lot about inwit there, there, there is it's, it's it's as scarce as the resources on it basically inwit being a cold hell hole um forced the people who lived there to be underground under the ice because under the ice it was actually warmer and they were able to make their homes they had a lot of tribes and these tribes when you think tribe you think low tech low pop well they didn't really invent a new phrase they didn't go from tribe to settlement to colony to kingdom to continent no they're just tribes
0: but, yeah, but they got bigger you, you are correct. It is tidally locked against its dying star.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. There we go. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not a poser. Put
0: the, get out of the
1: comments. Get out Can of you com- make comments on a podcast?
0: No. Well, yes, but we don't read them. No, I'm kidding. No, the comments. <laughs> it's not quite. It's not quite YouTube comment territory, thankfully. Oh, thank God.
1: Um, but uh, Inwit is a hell. Is a frozen hell. Um. What actually happened is these tribes, they grew bigger and stronger. And one of the interesting things we do know about Inwit is because of the lack of resources, lack of living spaces, lack of survivability. Um, If you read up on the planet, they literally describe the cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers that you see in like the descent, but they're everywhere. um...
0: Uh, more locks, essentially, from the time machine.
1: Yeah. But they're everywhere. And they're being hunted by other bigger, scarier things in there.
0: Ooh, that's it is, interesting. It's a you're, giant
1: you're, underground ice glacier of murder. You're
0: making me think of ways that we can make mouth and Arconia even worse. <laughs> you're
1: welcome. <laughs> and so, the interesting thing is, they actually groove to make a hive city on their own. No, um, just It became that way. It grew to become that. It became technologically there. And there's these different tribes, these ice tribes of Inuit. And you had these different houses. Rogel was adopted by his father, who became more of a grandfather figure, and trained him in statescraft and strategy. And because they have so little... In, uh, people of Inuit were taught about a precise evaluation of everything around them to the degree of utter pragmatism that it makes the motherfucker who created the theory of, pra- you know, being a pragmatic theory put to shame. The theory, the only theory that created an actual technology, pragmatism created the circuit board because it's literally taking its design philosophy and putting it in technology. Makes them, makes that fucker look lazy by
0: comparison. They're insane. It also makes sense as to why, like, Rogel is such a logistical, like, mastermind with things.
1: He can give, he can give Gilman a run for his money, and it's not talked about often. And it's not because he was trained in, you know, this high arts, neoclassical theory of, you know, hey, everything's great. It's this person can eat this uh, lima bean, and this person can starve for a day. And it just builds up into en masse as he right. just gets these mental repetitions. And it's amazing to see. Um, Rogel was adopted by the Ice Tribe Dorn. Um, if you read or listen to, I believe it's the first wall in the Sea to Terra series, Fafnir Rand goes over a great description of talking about the different Ice Tribes and talking about how he was living under fear that Dorn was going to kill his tribe because they are barbarians but they are barbarians with etiquette oh, manners and
0: procedure. I do remember this. Okay, yeah and there, yeah. there there's some procedure where like if you fuck up and they they kill you and they like they let you float down the ice river essentially to the yes. settlement to like send the message. Yes. Okay. I was like it's the crazy. Cool. First- wall i'm like why does this okay i kind of remember this
1: yeah fafnir is really cool like if you want like fafnir ran eventually became the chapter master of the executioners and one of the foundings um if you want to see the rigid structure of the imperial fists before they were the imperial fists like anything about inwit and their ice tribes is worth a look because it it really narrows down from there they eventually became a spacefaring civilization it became no longer just the inwit planet it was the inwit cluster as they began to go around and conquer everything and then it's unknown if they created it or if it was already there because age of strife is fun like that right they had the phalanx something right. that rivaled the size of a blackstone fortress and dorn he was the captain of that or whatever the uh, equivalent of master of the fleet for that. Right. Because he took over the entire fucking planet and then the other planets around him. So while we have most primarchs in this medieval era, he was already, you know, he already won the, the science category of civilization. He made yeah. the rocket.
0: He went to the moon. And there's a couple, I mean, there, there's a handful that, At least trappings. A lot of them were a little bit more like techno barbarian than like high fantasy or not high fantasy, like high sci-fi. But yeah, Yeah. it's interesting. It's really cool going back and covering all the Primarchs and their specific lore because you you uncover some really neat things about who they are as people.
1: Eventually, the Emperor comes and Ruggledorn merely does all the math and goes, no, this checks. This checks out. I knew I was adopted. I knew that I'm not from here. Logistically, I'm a nightmare to be here. I mean, look look at me. I'm a shit brick house, and everyone's living underground. This guy who I immediately have a kindred bond with, with all these other people around, that just feels right. Yeah, that makes sense. Immediately gave him the failing sin. Okay, I'm with you. It was gifted it back. You know, might have hurt his feelings, but he had his adopted father's, you know, cape, furred cape that he sleeps with every night, his security blanket. Which I think is adorable.
0: It all um, security blanket.
1: I mean, say what you will about Dorn. There's I forget which book it was. There was a scene where he and Valdor were talking about the hope of the end of all the wars, to where there truly is a peace, to where Valdor could be at peace as the defender, and Rogel yeah, as a builder. They're,
0: they're talking to Cinderman. Talking to Cinderman. Right? Yeah, I think they're talking to the Remembrancer, Cinderman, on the wall, on the on the inner palace wall. Because cinderman like wanders up there because he's looking for like a place to like think and contemplate, and he comes across the garden and Valdor and Rogel are in the garden already talking. imagine
1: being a remembrancer and then walking upon two deific cr-
0: uh, creatures, yeah right, and they call you over to join their conversation
1: it's <laughs> it's it, it feels if if it were written by that guy, it almost feel like a Dante's Inferno, like, oh yes Dante, oh yes, I'm Mephistopheles, but like the cool version. Come talk to me. The cool version. Yeah, I want a cool (laughs) version. The version version
0: that doesn't eat your eyes slowly like grapes and then reincarnate them in your head to do it again. (laughs) Imagine having
1: grapes for eyes.
0: I mean, that's what my...
1: Um, So the Imperial Fists are very interesting. They are a very good all-rounder chapter. A lot of people have the... uh, the flanderization of the Imperial Fists is they are just siege, 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 fortify, 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 whether it's yeah. attacking or defending, but mainly defending because they built defensive structures more than um, attacking those structures. Whereas they're more specifically known. They were best at void craft. They were space warriors, to and true, the best at it. Boarding actions, uh, teleporting in. Throwing a bunch of uh siege uh drop pods uh into a into a into someone's spaceship and then taking it floor by floor, that was their bread and butter, almost as good as uh the as what say the celestial lines, uh the uh the sons of Horus before they became the sons of Horus the Luna space Wolf. Luna wolves. There we go. Let's call, call them space lions. Uh, yeah, the Luna, Luna wolves. Yeah, they matched the Luna Wolves when it came to breaching Voidcraft. That was their bread and butter. And in fact, if you look at the Horus Heresy 2.0 uh, rules, basically they're given rules to make them all rounder, just great right at killing things in general. Yeah, like they're surprisingly offensive for the defensive. If you three, six, or nine dollars to watch me use bunny ears. I mean, if you're buying, uh, if you're buying, uh, Pokemans cookies, you can spend three six nine to watch me bunny ears. Damn it! Uh,
0: (laughs) They're good bunny ears. They're good bunny ears. They're good. They're they're the they're
1: the best bunny ears. Damn it!
0: The best bunny ears are Chris Farley for Weekly World News. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) You're you're, you're,
1: he's not here. He can't defend himself.
0: (laughs) I can see you aspire. Yeah, (laughs) you could aspire to that level, though. You you got this. You just got to train, train those a fingers. I'm a
1: dude quoting a dude with bunny ears. I was like another dude.
0: <laughs>
1: so Imperial fists are su- surprisingly well-rounded, not as quite as well-rounded as uh, the Ultramarines. Right. Um, yeah, they, but if you were... Uh, they lost that uniqueness translating into more of the modern era because they're the only people who can pull from Terra for their yeah. um, Space Marine chapter. They are highly fleet bound and tend to come in as a supporting action for people, which they did a lot in the in the heresy as well. Yeah, but they, they, they sort of got flanderized by their by their own source material, which is a
0: shame. And it's because they got called back. I mean, Dorn got called back to Terra to specifically build Terra's defenses. Yes, that's a lot of where that like background comes from. And it's the same thing. The Iron Warriors are not great siege breakers. That's what they're known as because it was the Iron Warriors versus the Imperial Fists. And one side yeah. one side was the sieged and the other side was the besiegers. So that's kind of like the legacy that they get. But in both cases, both chapters were really well-rounded and they were very good at defense and offense, which is why Rogel and Perturabo were always so close. You know they were very similar to each other so they were always kind of like destined to be at loggerheads it's it's the two brothers that are when you have you either you either have twins that are completely in sync or you have twins that constantly fight and they are the twins that constantly fight like they were constantly in competition with one another because they were so close in like mentality and body and all of that and that it's it's just it's interesting cuz you're absolutely right like we do we we've labeled one of those legions as the legion that builds strongholds and the other legion is the legion that breaks strongholds but if you look at what they actually did in both cases they were utilized to do both things because their primarchs are both logistical like masterminds that's what they're good at they're good at logistics they're good at calculations yeah, where, so. uh,
1: to, to differentiate and specify just that by it's a minute thing in it but it's It speaks to both their characters and why I like Dorn. Dorn, he logistics the cost-effective ratio of resources and how well they can be manned. Pertorabo looks at the cost-effective ratio of corpses that have yet to be made corpses.
0: Yeah, Pertorabo always looks at how to solve the equation. Dorn looks at how to solve the equation neatly. Pertorabo looks at how to solve the equation. It's that, it, he, it's like, a.
1: Pertorabo is the guy you want leading a group.
0: Yeah, it's like the brute when force. You're, when
1: you, when it's like, imagine you're on a planet, and there's one, like, state, like, let's say, like, a, a, like five square miles of land. You're going to want Pertorabo there from yeah. the beginning when it's rough, because he's going to be able to say, oh, X, Y, Z thing. Dorn adopted, or adapted to that, I should say, during, you know, the Siege of Terra but he wasn't like throwing bodies at it. Yeah. You want Dorn when things are going great. And even when they're going bad, you still want Dorn. You want Pertorabo when, when you, when everyone can be classified as expendable.
0: Yeah. Pertorabo is the ends justify the means to, to a T. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, they're interesting. The two of them are interesting characters and it's interesting how like the lore, the legacy of the lore has kind of set them against one another.
1: I'm so excited for the iron cage book eventually. Oh yeah.
0: I I had a I had a question for you about the Iron or not the Iron Wars about the Imperial Fists and I completely yeah, forgot what it was. <laughs> I hate that. I'm like I got a question for you and it's gone.
1: It is so, fluttered t- away. Was well, what if I say the word flanderization for a third time? Well that will that No, I don't think it down? was the
0: word. I don't think it was the word flanderization. Their most famous successor chapter is the Black Templar.
1: Yes, it is. The black templars are their most. Which is really
0: weird, considering that the imperial fists were the least prone to religious flights of fancy.
1: Well, that's a good thing to bring up because in the legion, there was so every legion had like their special like subculture inside that legion. Because when you when you hit that mass of a size, you're going to have people who specialize in a certain way. Dark angels were built that way on purpose. That's why you had your iron wing, your dread wing, uh, your green wing, your death wing, raven wing. They were built like that on purpose. And some of them more culturally became that way. Like the black Templars were sword brethren. They were people who were led by a person named Sigismund who believed in your oaths and your vows. And eventually those oaths and vows went hand-in-hand with the idea of, well, these vows, they give me the strength, This strength I can find in myself, the same strength and comfort I find in the Emperor. And with, when you have a 20-foot-tall glowing guy who can (laughs) make an entire (laughs) planet kneel like he's fucking Kang the goddamn conqueror, you can, I can forgive that, but, you know, Dorne is a purist.
0: Yeah, it's it's in, in those two and those two come to loggerheads too, <laughs> even within his own Legion. Yeah, it's insane. Man, I, I had to reread the first wall because that was such a good book.
1: It, 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 you, it blew my mind, me... especially the ending uh, Yeah, on the on the actual phalanx, which brings up an interesting thing. When, we t- when you guys talked about the Council, uh, the council of Nikea, there yep. was an interesting thing brought up about how uh, people were like, yeah, well, Dorn locked up all the librarians and basically let them die off. No. Yeah, they they, they were, were like
0: in monk seclusion. They were basically they were in
1: monk seclusion. Yeah. Ready to be released at a moment's notice. They were
0: meditating is, to keep their cool. Yeah. yeah that, when were, we get, when we get to that iced. whole part of, of the phalanx conflict, which oh, is it's so good. Fucking baller. It's so good. It's my we got, we got a, part we got a couple, we got a couple of characters to talk about before that. We got to, we haven't talked about Euphratie Keeler at all yet. And she's super or, Sadie, important Alton, or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, there, there's a, yeah. there's a. As we get through the Battle of Kalf and as then we start to look at like the Remembrance or Order and the different things that happened during the Heresy that like set up the Siege of Terra, there, there's just, there is some mind blowing things that happen. I mean, it, it's, it's a good, it's a space opera. It's an evolving, ever changing, ever expanding space opera.
1: Yeah, and if if there's one reason to read. Horus Heresy, I get it. I like Xenos races. I like Chaos. But not this branch of it. I mean like the actual demons themselves. And the, and the greater right. courts of them. Horus Heresy is a great read. Because sure, it's mainly Imperium focused. However, it is a space opera. a An epic in the stars. That shows you why you're, you hate your enemy. In that case, and I think it's well yeah. really in that sense.
0: There's just a couple of parts that get kind of. I, somebody summed it up really well a couple of days ago that, it, like at times, it just turns into bolter porn, and I'm like, it really does turn into bolter porn at points. That's and funny. and that's not that's not a fault of the story as a whole. The story as a whole is pretty good. It's just it, when you have you know, a,
1: when you have a war of brothers, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna romanticize the the, the gunplay
0: it's learning how and this is just this is just a tip to authors in general and i'm not i'm i'm not i only have one published this man is a p-
1: uh, published author you listen to his authority
0: that's true um and i do have a published book <laughs> i was the, i'm i'm the illustrator but it's still published but one of one of the things to kind of pay attention to in in public speaking um but you also want to pay, pay attention to it in creative writing is you want to spend like 15% of your time. So if you're giving an hour-long talk, you want to spend less than 10 minutes of your speech talking about the problem. So you want to identify the problem, you want to explore the problem, but then you want to spend the majority of the time, the other 50 minutes, talking about the solution. And that, it kind of happens in creative writing too. You want to identify the conflict between the antagonist and the protagonist, and you want to put stakes to it. And then you want to have a set of rising actions that lead to a resolution And then you want to have that resolution play out into the climax of the story, the the payoff. Essentially, we've gone through the trials and tribulations, we've been tested, and now we're at a point where resolution can happen. And when a series is created, whatever that series is, be it Star Wars, be it Star Trek, be it Warhammer 40K, it doesn't really matter, there comes a point where They have to continuously make new problems to explain new solutions to over and over and over again without getting to the climax or the resolution portion of the story because there is a mechanism of selling more books that is outpaced the mechanism of telling a good story. And as a podcast that kind of like harkens on and champions creative writing, try to keep that in mind is that like, you're not a book people should not set out to be a book mill you know and i i have a feeling there there is really good stuff in the horus heresy and there's books that were book milled in the horus heresy and Uh, i have the newest end of death there's just there's a couple of them that i'm just like why is this this is a footnote on a wiki page why the fuck is it a 400 page book and we and don't like, have a book about Inwit, yeah, Right. Exactly. You don't have a book. Bu- there's, there's books that are completely missing that would make sense. And then there's things that get talked about that are essentially like copy paste. We copy paste the red guys versus the blue guys to be the gray guys versus the yellow guys. Okay, great. Um, I've read this conflict already. And, and like I like that stuff too. There are plenty of military science fiction fantasy series that I have read that like I just want to read the next battle. But I would also say that those series are like ten books long, <laughs> not not what are we at like eighty five books or something in the Heresy now, and it's well, that also begs the
1: question of how many authors for like that series, like that ten book series. How many authors are writing between those ten books compared to like, how many authors you have for like the Black yeah, Library?
0: That's true because it's usually like one author versus several authors but at the same time i will stipulate that a couple of those like brain candy books series that i've read they're like 150 page books so when you read 10 150 page books it's not as bad as reading 85 350 page books you know and and there are definitely massive standouts in the horus heresy there are books that far surpass standalone fiction that i've read
1: there's a reason people recommend reading specific books in a series cherry picking which ones yeah because they're just good enough to stand on their own
0: and it's not and there's nothing wrong with from my perspective i just sometimes it drags um and space marines can also be really boring characters uh space marines don't really change that's kind of their nature and as humans who have been trained by an entertainment industry as we have been trained by an entertainment industry for 110 years or 120 years, however long it's been since the talkie or the, not the talkies, the silent film came out. We are kind of primed to expect to see a gradual shift in our characters. And it can be a little daunting when the character doesn't change for a long time. And then all of a sudden changes. And that happens in the heresy because there's that switch that gets flipped. We're like, oh, by the way, I'm a bad guy now, and it can be a little jarring. Um, I think there is a happy compromise. I think I think somewhere around forty books probably would have been the happy compromise. Here are the forty books of the Horus Heresy. Well, here are the twenty five books of the Horus Heresy, and here are the three books of the Siege of Tereb would probably have been a little bit uh, more consumable. But I also understand that like the Black Library fosters authors, it grows authors. It starts careers it puts it it gets our eyes on people who may not have been seen otherwise which i think is really important and really great and the other thing is like that at the end of the day their goal is to make money and i'm just as guilty of the other side of it when it comes to the warhammer fantasy world and the age of sigmar stuff like i've read all 15 or 16 original Felix and Gotrick novels, and I'm now starting to read the ones that were by who are by another author, and I know that there's even more, and I'll read all of them. Like, so I'm the guy I'm guilty, and the Felix and Gotrick books are kind of formulaic. They kind of follow the same thing. I know what's gonna happen, but I don't care. I want it. I want my fantasy violence. I want to read about my human and my dwarf having fantasy shenanigans in, in their violent cartoons. little world what's up
1: that's a like fantasy shenanigans that's called cartoons
0: right <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so reasons why i like the box. imperial fists
1: so i think the imperial fists are neat reason i like the imperial fists is i like Rogel dorn i like that he is a flawed character not only that is that he's a flawed character he's a flawed character who is aware of it during the first wall it's either during... It's either the first wall... No, it was in Lost in the Damned. In Lost in the okay. Damned...
0: Okay, that's the second book?
1: Yes. Yeah. In Lost in the Damned, he looks over to uh, Malkador, and he goes, I have no idea what the, what the warp is. I don't know what the ruinous powers of chaos are. Please teach me. I want to know. Yeah. Can you show me? I want to see if the strangers like me. Sorry, Phil Collins aside... He was like, I don't know what this is. I want to understand it. You're telling me all my brothers have this latent power? Can I learn it? Can I understand it? That curiosity, that genuine curiosity in wanting to know to better himself. Right. That first step of accepting that he is not full. He is not whole. And he is ready to change himself for the better is such a rare thing, and I think almost unheard of for Primarchs.
0: Yeah, it, it's definitely Rogel and Horus, and I wouldn't say Russ. Russ I, ta- I, taught I, humility. I might, put, I might put Russ kind of in that category. They definitely have like more of a human bend than the others.
1: Especially when you look at Russ's relationship with Malkador.
0: Oh, that yeah. is like total, like, Malkador is pretty
1: of... much Russ's son more than the Emperor.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of humility—not humility, a lot of humanity in in those three characters, which makes a lot of sense because, well, obviously Horace is one of the characters that's talked about the most. But those there, you get these little standouts, and I'm sure a lot of it is just because the fiction hasn't been finalized, or I haven't—I haven't personally read as much of it. Maybe the other characters are a little bit more humanized too. But there's definitely a couple of primarchs that I don't see as being very. I don't see any humanity in them. Um, yeah. Magnus is one of them, and I've read several of Magnus's books. Magnus is just—Magnus is one of the characters that is very much removed from humanity, and I—I I don't think that makes him a bad guy. I think that he, just makes him he, different. He's like a you're asking
1: a high level wizard in a D and D game to care about the the quality of porridge.
0: Right. Exactly. And that's probably he's probably written that way on purpose. And yeah. maybe it just maybe it just speaks to who we are as individuals, like certain people latch on to different characters in different ways. But I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and and to, and to add on more and I think to get a little more personal with this. rogel Dorn is a very dour serious person who wants you to do better and be the best you you can be through a very specific way that he thinks is there. And it's yes. with the best intent
0: and he wants you to do the best you can. Rogel Dorn is never mad at you, but Rogel Dorn is probably often disappointed in you. <laughs> but it's that
1: disappointed with that. And to add on to that, that disappointed with that hope of I can, I see the improvement here.
0: Yes. Let me, lead yeah. you.
1: Let me guide you. It, Not it's... that, Oh, you, you wet behind the ears. Oh, what do I expect? It's like, and, and, in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not the veteran of like the, you know, motorcycle gang or 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 fishing boat disappointed. It's the fatherly disappointed. The like I know you can do better. I know you know you can do better.
1: And and then he's there to actually take those steps with you for for the most part. And and in a lot of ways um like I say getting very personal with it. That's my dad. So, I latched onto that.
0: There you go. But but not Alpha Legion, huh? <laughs>
1: no my dad's I, not a duplicitous ho
0: <laughs> speaking of duplicity so those were just short overviews of our favorite legions each legion and the primarchs are going to get their own episodes in the future as we explore more of the crusade and heresy era i have not said Horusi once yet so maybe this oh, is the Russ-y. point the Horusi era
1: <laughs> you can get some prime Horusi and Mercia.
0: that's right But now let's take a look at our favorite chapters. We both have chosen chapters with a bit of an extra flair towards the conspiratorial, if you will. And my favorite chapter is the Ashen Claws. And oh boy, do they have some um, primo spicy lore, if I do say so myself. If their claws
1: are ashy, why don't we give them some skin moisturizer?
0: Right. (laughs) So to start this off, I have a quote. The Emperor consigned us to the care of a tyrant who sought to see us dead and forgotten. Now the Raven Lord himself is dead. We care not to see the collar of servitude clasped around our necks once more, either in service to the turncoat war master or to the failed empire. Creator, Narit Kyrene, Lord of the Ashen Claws, 001.m31. So as that quote hints to, the Ashen Claws and very large air quotes are a successor chapter of the Raven Guard. But it's way darker and deeper than all of that. Originally, they were just the 18th chapter of the Raven Guard Legion, which was comprised of several thousand Astartes warriors, mostly all that were Terran-born veterans who had all been with the Legion before the reunification with Corvus Corax on Deliverance. Deliverance has a name other than Deliverance. It has a name before it was called Deliverance. I'm not going to use that name once because I don't think that the Ashen Claws give a shit. <laughs>
1: it's it was it Kingdom Come right before the uh, No, it
0: was like it was like Kosis, I think was Deliverance's name before Korax took it and renamed it Deliverance. Got it. So Korax My, my hated... joke
1: my my video game joke went went just
0: whoosh. No, I got that you were making a reference and I was like
1: We've heard we've but but trails to, enough today.
0: I have to lore explain it. <laughs>
1: Would you, like my, would you like my glasses so you can go um,
0: actually? Uh, yes. Uh, where are mine? I don't know. They're somewhere around here. Korax hated blue these guys. This blue light is mighty. <laughs> right? Korax <laughs> hated these guys and tried everything in his power to get them killed off, as they represented a time before he was in command of his legion. The Ashen Claws is a name adopted from the Terran Xerix tribes that the 19th legion drew its forces from. So these are there is nothing about these guys that aren't Terran. Not only that, but they fought under the leadership of Horace Lubricol, and their methods and ways of war were more aligned with the needs of the Luna Wolves' ways of war than with the stealth operations of Korax. By the time Korax took command of the 19th Legion Raven Guards, they had been fighting in the Great Crusade for over 100 years. Their mes- methods of war were based on swiftness and vigilance, not deception. And the old Zaraxxus tribes were seen as cold-blooded and totalitarian. And they also hadn't suffered alongside Korax and the new Astartes that were drawn from Deliverance. So there was kind of this, like, you're too cold and brutal. And also this, and you didn't suffer enough with us. You weren't in enough of our Black Parade. We don't like you. You're not part of our Black Parade is the only thing I can think of when I read a bunch of this shit about the Raven Guard. You're you're they You're not gothy enough to be gothy. <laughs> like, okay you, you haven't
1: you, chill like, out. Y- guys. Your pain is not
0: my pain. Yeah, yeah. You don't even know my pain. There's so much about Korax and the Night Haunter that are like that, where you're just like, the two of you need to sell fuck down. Korax saw their methods as being too close to the slavers of deliverance. And so instead of trying to work with them and intermix and integrate them into his new legion, he basically moved to have them purged. So instead of being like, I don't like what you guys are doing, I would like to teach you our way of war, or being more of like, let's mix your ideas with our ideas and become a cohesive unit, he was just like, I need to delete these guys, fuck these guys, I don't want them, why are they here? They're not mine, they're Horace's, was kind of the mentality.
1: Superimpose Korax's head over Michael Jordan saying, fuck them kids. (laughs) Right. I'm not the wrong. Record of, <laughs>
0: right. The record of the Ashen Claws is not only sealed by the Imperium, but the records were completely purged from the Legion's archives as well. So it's really hard to find any information about the Ashen Claws anywhere. Even their memory is seemingly offensive to the Raven Guard that still exists. When Horus assumed command as War Master, the Raven Guard were called back from their operations at the edge of the Ghoul Stars to the Akum Soath cluster. There they took part in the Battle of Gate 42, alongside the Luna Wolves, Space Wolves, and Iron Warriors. Korax assigned the 18th chapter to the Vanguard Assault, which was essentially a suicide mission, following a tradition of committing them to similar situations in more conflicts before this. But basically, every time he had an impossible mission or something where he knew heavy casualties would be inflicted, he put these guys on it. And, it, and again, a chapter in these days, a chapter under the legions, we're talking about low side, 10,000 Marines, upper side, 25,000 Marines. These are a lot of dudes. So this and is like the were, French
1: foreign legion of the Raven Guard.
0: Right. And, and he's just constantly giving them the worst jobs. This was seen at the time as the legion's darkest hour based on the amount of lives lost during this conflict. This Legion Darkest Hour would be far surpassed by Istvan V in just a couple of years, but at this point, the losses that they suffered at Gate 42 were seen as the worst. While the conflict was ultimately an Imperial victory, the Raven Guard had been reduced to less than 80,000 effective Marines, making it the weakest standing force at the time. Also, most of the Terran-born line officers and sub- subsequently members of the Unseen Warrior Lodges. Those who held loyalty to the Luna Wolves and Horus had died. Horus no longer held any po- political sway over the Raven Guard. And after the battle, the Raven Guard, Luna Wolves, and Iron Warriors were also expected to contribute forces to an expeditions that would then return to the Ghoul Stars. And in the last effort to completely clear any lingering Terran stain from his legion, Korax saw the opportunity and assigned The thousand or so or two thousand or so remaining ashen flaws to this duty The number i'm sorry several thousand i i said two thousand but i guess that the official is several thousand so we're not really sure
1: which is minimum two but could be as many as like three
0: yeah it could be like three it could i mean i guess it could be four
1: could be tree 50.
0: yeah it's anything less than a. I i think if it was five thousand they would have said five thousand but yeah, 350. I'm going to need about 350 of them Ashen, Guard. Or Ashen Claws. We'll need
1: Ashen... 350 of them Ashen Claws because they're going to be a goddamn Loch <laughs> of Monster.
0: Right. So the Ashen Claws were dispatched once again to the ghoul stars. They were pissed, having seen how little their Primarch cared for them or the honors and sacrifices that they had made for him or the Legion during their time only to being cast out and forgotten. They knew. like at, By the end of the battle at gate 42, they 100% knew what was going on. And then the one-two punch of, you just tried to get us all killed and some of us somehow managed to survive. Oh, and now you're sending us to the ghoul stars alone? like No other Raven Guard are going. It's just us. We know, dog. Like it, it You can't hide anymore what you're doing. They refused to choose a side when the heresy erupted and became listed as independent black shields by the Imperium. They Did saw we ever go over as what
1: f- black shields are?
0: Not yet. We'll touch on it here in a second. Now, okay. I, I don't think we've talked about black shield. Well, we've definitely talked, talked about, about black shields in 40k. I don't yeah. think we've talked about black shields in 30k.
1: Yeah, because they're, they're, they're kind of statements. a weirdly big deal. But not yeah, great. They're movie. essentially
0: non-traitorous traitors. But...
1: <laughs> and I'm sure there's a more
0: eloquent way to say that.
1: The way you described it, it sounds like the motherfucker who voted present at like a, a congressional like vote or some shit like that, right? right? <laughs> Instead of saying it's game. Cool. I was here. I, I was there the when Horace slew I, the uh, slew the emperor.
0: I I plead the fifth. <laughs> so I they saw nervously. themselves. Uh, Actually, here's a really good way to describe the Black Shields. They saw themselves as following the original ideals of the Imperial Truth and the Emperor, but did not align themselves with what they saw as a failing empire or the forces who turned against that failing empire. They essentially saw the empire as having failed them. And even though they believed in the original ideals, they had no real compulsion to continue following on the side of the imperial forces during the great uh, during the horus heresy essentially um and black shields also kind of gets used for loyalists from trader legions uh a little bit It, it black shields and gray shields are i don't know why 40k loves using both of those terms to mean different things in different eras but that's That's kind of what how they're used. I mean, the
1: 40k equivalent of making fetch a thing.
0: Do you have any other like big insight into 30k black shields other than they're the traitors of the traitors, (laughs) roughly?
1: that's about it. Like that's even what they are in uh, in 30k. Uh, Yeah,
0: Yeah, I meant
1: 30k. Yeah, well, in in the game Horus Heresy, Uh, in Horus Heresy, that's legitimately what they are. Black shields are. Okay, so you, do you want to run some Death Guard that are loyalists and have loyalist like Death Guard characters? Here we have a guy from you know the Eisenstein hanging out over here. You can run him now, kind of shit like yeah. that.
0: Yeah, that Garo. Nathaniel Garo is a Black Shield. Yeah, and and the some of the Black Shields became the Gray Shields. The Gray Shields being the Knights Errant. The Knights Errant became the Gray Knights. Gray Knight Shields. Black Shields in 40k is a term used by the Death Watch, and again, it's essentially the easiest way to look at it is it's these warriors who have fallen out of favor with their own chapters. So they're consigned to work with the death watch. Like it's kind of, it it's similar, but different. It, it's weird. It's, it's weird, um,
1: which is 40 K and it's oddly medieval European, which is also 40 K.
0: Yeah. It's a very cool sounding name too. Like black shield. Like, Oh yeah, I'm black shield.
1: Sounds like well, black shield. It, it sounds
0: like a ceramite equivalent of like armor. all. buy black shield today. <laughs> Um, From this point on, they basically faded into obscurity, being seen only nominally fighting on under the Emperor's orders, most of their efforts being seen as those of mercenaries, raiders, and pirates, until it was assumed their efforts in the post-heresy era of Reformation dwindled out as they had all died. Uh, So the way that they followed the Emperor's orders is they actually took the fight to the Night Lords pretty bad, and they fucked the Night Lords up, pretty hardcore, and then they faded into obscurity. They basically fought for the Emperor, but they fought for the original Emperor, the Emperor of the Unification Wars. Non-vegetative Emperor. Yeah, that they kind of didn't like what was happening with the late-stage Imperium, even before the Emperor was put on the Golden Throne. And then, after the Golden Throne into the Reformation, they basically just stopped giving a shit. Because a lot at that point, a lot of the like quasi-religious stuff had worked its way in, and the Ashen Claws were not about that. These are warriors from Terra. These yeah. are not, like, th- these are, yeah, these are original Unification War era space marines. So they have a very different relationship with the Imperium and the Emperor than any modern space marine would. Almost as close as a Primarch. Yes, yeah. So unknown to the Imperium at large, they did, however, survive, and they've survived into the modern day, finding a home in the Astrogatus system, where they manage a harsh existence among the shattered worlds. Two of the system's planets had collided during the system's early life, and the system had basically become a tangle of shattered and dead rocks. There's a couple of planets there, but the majority of it is just space junk. It's a desolate place devoid of natural resources or habitable space, which makes it the perfect place for renegades and pirates to hide. The Ashen Claws conquered the region 10,000 years ago, so during the end of the heresy, building their base on Astrogatus Prime. Their fortress is called the Lost Erie, and it is a twisted spire of black rock that scrapes the edge of the bleak clouds that cover the world. From space, it's impossible to tell that any human or Xenos-made installation exists, but the crags and cracks bristle with defenses. The Ashen Claws live alongside the void tribes and renegades that had infected the system, a population that they recruit from for their aspirants to this day. They continue to survive mostly by raiding imperial stocks for supplies or those outlying void clusters in human colonies that are close to their home system. These are worlds that are far removed from the influence and protection of the Imperium. Now, when I say that they raid Imperial stocks and supplies, but they're also far enough away that a lot of the human worlds don't fall under the influence and protection of the Imperium, the Imperium stocks that they're raiding are like the deep stocks that are meant for the Death Watch to find or that they're meant for a crusade group to find eventually. These are not stockpiles or supply lines that are actively monitored these are like cash nowhere near making. active use this is your rainy yes. day stuff yeah, yeah. or or, and or eventually they get resupplied because be... someone
1: needed it so it's just you know a perpetual cycle yep. of uh, subsistence uh uh well, scrounging
0: yeah exactly they live outside the law of the imperium and they are considered a renegade chapter that is being actively hunted, regardless of the fact that their loyalties still remain aligned with the Emperor's original vision. As they also stand against chaos, they have found partnership among the other Astartes that have darker reputations, such as the exiled, and often fan favorites of everybody, the Carcaridons. Space sharks need more respect. That's right. Uh for three, six or nine dollars, you can see me accidentally go to the wrong picture. <laughs> in exchange
1: And what a glorious picture
0: I have to say. It is. And they work with the Carcaridons in exchange for war materials in their times of greatest needs when the red tithe cannot be filled in its normal ways. The Carcaridons trade these war materials to recruit from ashen claws controlled worlds or from the population. Of Astrogatus, or Atragatus itself. Now, the interesting thing is that the Ashen Claws are duplicitous by nature, especially at this point. This is a chapter of Space Marines that has been renegade and piratical for 10,000 years. So they actively try to turn the Carcaridon captains against each other just to see what will happen. And they're always trying to undercut or fuck over the deal. But the Carcaridons aren't in a position. To not take the deal, because sometimes they don't have the ability to exact their red tithe, and they have to work with these guys.
1: That's interesting, because their red tithe is very much non-compliant. Compliance is optional. So the fact that they're having to go to these people once in a bloom and go, hey, uh, we're kind of too hardcore for, for this right now. Uh, can, can you give us a little little stimulus package of uh, of,
0: yeah. of fodder? Just like the Carcaridons are massively feared because they're like dark and mysterious, the Ashen Claws are massively feared because they're dark and mysterious. And the one way to make a dark and mysterious force even more dark and mysterious is to let on that the other dark and mysterious force is kind of scared of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like who, who's cooler? The, the the space sharks made by an edgy sixteen year old, like yeah. Street sharks, but like in <laughs> space, or oh, these guys they deal with the space sharks and they make them say please,
0: or or, or the 15 year old that made the edgier ashen claws to make the space sharks
1: look tan. Ashen claw yeah. is my ashen claw, is my sona name, and you usually respect Sona name that's
0: right. <laughs> my ashen claw, no, <laughs> wow, ashen I claw, like- what are you doing back there? Step Karkaradon, why are you stuck in the dryer? (laughs) And it's just the fucking
1: VTuber model lady that everyone says is the fucking type (laughs) She should be leading the space sharks.
0: Right. So the Ashen Claws use a lot of assault craft in support of fast moving infantry and often use tactics that seem most familiar to the pre-heresy Luna Wolves, which makes sense. Their colors are dull, dark gray bordering on black, and their power packs, pauldrons, and van braces are in a dull red. Their helmets also carry red markings or are entirely red depending on status. And again, a little bit like the white scars, it has more to do with status than actual like role. While I do have some newer equipment, they are known for their older patterns of power armor or mixing suits of power armor. So a lot of times, You will find a very common way to kit bash them is to use parts of Mark VI and parts of modern marks mixed together kind of haphazardly. Uh, the way that I did mine is they are intercessor bodies that I've modified the power armor a little bit on, but I'm using Mark VI helmets and Mark VI power packs and the Mark VI shoulder with all of the bumps on it, the, uh, the healing beads on it. So it's kind of mixing like, Essentially, like different armor styles. And that's just because these guys are maintaining all their own equipment. They're not trading with the Mechanicus. They don't have tech priests. These guys are building and maintaining their own stuff.
1: And they are nowhere near as competent craftsmen
0: as the Salamanders. Yeah. Nope. They are literally cobbling together leftovers. They are neither chaos nor imperium and lined setting firmly in the often regulated to just chaos renegade category. I really hate that there is no renegades anymore. Like post sixth, there are no renegade forces anymore. Well, you're only renegade until you turn chaos. Well, that's great. But you guys had lore for like chapters that were thousands of years old that had been renegades for thousands of years. And now you're yeah. just like, well, now they're chaos because we have to draw. There can't be three human factions. There can only be two. I, which I is, imagine I know, the
1: the corruption of the astral Claws during the Badab War was like the like. Uh,
0: That's kind like, of the poster child for all renegades turn chaos. Yeah,
1: yeah, them and, and a lot of uh, not the Mant and the mantis warriors too. Actually, because they started yeah. falling
0: as I mentioned before, they hate the ideal of the current Imperium, but also stand fast against the actions of Horus and the Chaos Space Marines. They saw the ideal that they fought for die, and even as their and and then their Primarch attempted to murder them all. So it's very much just it's a very tragic story, um, which is one of the reasons I like it. It also has a lot of mystery, and there's a lot of tinfoil hat conspiracies. That mix into them a lot. They, they exist in the Ghoul Stars, which is a very tinfoil hat conspiracy portion of the, the universe. It gets much deeper than this summary. To me, I like them because it's a chapter fit for kit bashing. And, you know, who doesn't love space pirates, right? End of the day. They're a space pirate chapter.
1: <laughs> I think space tax collectors don't like space pirates.
0: Yes. Yes. The Imperium generally doesn't like the Ashen Claws. It's funny you brought up the Astral Claws too, because a lot of times when I'm talking about Ashen Claws, people are like, oh, the Astral Claws? And I'm like, no, I said a different word.
1: <laughs> There's only so many names in the
0: universe. So many yes. words. Yeah, yeah, And no one's going to name their characters the Rutabaga Marines. <laughs> the Rutabaga Marines. So let us know about your boys, the Celestial Alliance. Here one C so, punching a evosor assassin into base. No, that's Vindicare. Is it you're right, it's Vindicare. The rifle. So, the rifle gives it away.
1: Yes. So uh, it's a skin tight suit versus skin tight suit. It's 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 skin it's it's shirts versus skins makes no difference when it's the, the assassins. <laughs> I'm not wrong. They really have a fetish for that.
0: Yeah, they they all know it's it's hard to tell them apart sometimes.
1: So Celestial so Lions are very interesting. They started off uh, during the 38th millennium. Uh, this is pre-Gilman coming back, so you know put that put that plus to uh, minus two to your era score here for you know for all you math majors out there. Shout out to all fifty thousand of you. It's like the it's like the new like uh, eh. You're you're not special. That's what I'm saying. Welcome to Warhammer. Um, uh, Celestial lions were allegedly in the thirty eighth millennium. Were founded. However, uh, while they're an unknown founding, allegedly they were the twenty third founding. They were found. In action around the twenty-fifth founding to uh, be part of something called the Triumvirate. The Triumvirate was three Space Marine squads uh, chapters that are known as the Sentinels of the Veil. Vale. They stand sentinel over the scattered worlds of the region known as Elara's Vale. Uh, the three chapters are the Celestial Lions, the now extinct Star Scorpions, and the probably best one of the best known successor chapters out there the Emperor Spears. Each one of these guys, basically, they all work together and they're around this very niche part of the world to fight chaos. Celestial Lions are here to fight chaos specifically. They are built, bred, and designed to hold a specific area. Celestial Lions are very interesting when you have, as talked about earlier in the podcast, when you talk about these different factors and these different ways that all these different successor chapters are created and and become specialized in a certain way. Black Templars had that zeal, that drive that uh, even Dorn could stir into someone as taciturn and as pragmatic and stationary as his, you know, rate of thinking can go. The Crimson Fists were the ultimate pragmatists, hence why they could deal with so many hordes so efficiently. The Executioners were the Anger. Of the Imperial fists, and you have those different types of things during the second founding. these guys embodied the nobility, the justice that the imperial fists brought through pragmatism. We have the concept of justice because of someone who is deserved of a certain thing, because of the way they act and the way that they perform. We can now see that it is just that they get X y z consequence, positive or negative, and for that. They are embodiment of justice and that nobility that having this solid ethic of pragmatism and doing better, being better, can instill into this concentrated form. So you have a chapter dedicated to nobility and justice in Warhammer Forty K. How does that work out? It doesn't. (laughs) Most notably, you can see the parallels drawn between them and Lamenters, uh, the Lamenters from. A successor of blood angels who follow a similar path, but instead of what happened to the celestial lions, at least the lamenters can point to their ungodly bad luck. Celestial lions have a much more tragic tale, because it was through majorly mundane ways the chapter was brought to near extinction. Most notably, they were brought in for a insurrection, the Qatar Insurrection. Qatar Insurrection was happening on the planet qatar essentially chaos took hold and them being the people in the area who deal with chaos were acquisitioned by an inquisitor inquisitor doesn't matter he gets away with it gets away with it spoilers he sends down the entire chapter the entire chapter loses about three companies so not an not a nothing number around 300 space marines are killed As they very rapidly are taking down and taking massive strides in Qatar as they swarm it. So what ended up happening was they finally capture it. And a lot of the people there, believe it or not, were ignorant to what was going on. They had no clue. They just went, oh, the banners changed colors, but my day-to-day didn't change. It was the very higher-up people that controlled and cause things to go awry. So there was a lot of innocent civilians. However, the Inquisitor, Inquisitor Apollyon, which, by the way, is one of the most evil names out there. Uh, Apollyon is not used for good things. And hint, said that despite the fact that they took out the heads that were causing this, there was enough of a general body that survived that warranted an exterminatus. This was noted to be a very reckless and excessive exterminatus. And most of the time, when an Inquisitor causes that, they're not an Inquisitor for long. Instead, what happened was the Celestial Lions tried to get in contact with Apollyon. Apollyon left them on red. He went back to Terra. The Celestial Lions brought some of their oldest and most honored leaders in the chapter and put them on on a ship with a strongly worded letter to Terra. It was found in the Warp. And they were all killed. The chapter ma—it's like people on the level of the chapter master of expertise, strength, leadership were on there. They became—they were dignitaries essentially, non-combatants as much as a spaceman right. could be a non-combatant. Right. And the—and it's—we don't know how it happens, but we know how it happened. They—they they got caught, because they were—they were trying to tattle-tale on the Inquisition, which is not a recipe for a long life. Then. After that, they get called into just this this little this little conflict called the Third War of Armageddon, a very small battle.
0: Uh, yeah, like one one or two people were there.
1: Yeah, one or, well, yeah, like Greg and he brought he brought his cooler and that was very nice of him. Too many beers. Um, so <laughs> huh. uh, in the Third he went War of Armageddon, to Greg, huh?
0: I see what yeah, happened.
1: Third War of Armageddon, the celestial lines make planet full. And they are at first doing pretty good. Celestial Lions are very efficient at fighting. They're just all rounders. They're they're not specialized in anything aside from kicking Chaos's butt. But they're in the area and they're being told to go do this. Eventually, the intel that was given to them is wrong. What was supposed to be like a bunch of Choppa boys and a couple of Slega Boys with maybe uh a few um of the, uh, flash gets and and, uh, their tank busters are besieging a colony. The colony is dead. And now there's like Rekha trucks and people and mech boys and all these other things. So it's a completely unproportional fight and you can't just send out everyone to fight at the same time. That's a logistical nightmare. It can never right. work feasibly. So they have right. to, you know, plan it right. So they're being, they're being sent to all these losing fights. And more often than not, being sent to places where people are already dead and have been established as uh basically orcs territory to be yeah, killed
0: i told you that there were parts of of this of both of these chapters that aligned a little bit
1: <laughs> oh it gets better we are now at half a chapter capacity five full companies are dead killed we now have word that in a place called the Mannheim gap there is a factory that has Stompas being made. Stompas are big. They are really big. Do, do you know how, how physically tall a Stompa is, Ryan? Because Marky has one.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. I fought stomp. I, I one-on-one'd 2 Stompas to death with uh, Abaddon. Abaddon. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It took, basically... Yeah. Well, it only took it four takes, turns. <laughs> th- think about it this <laughs> way. It takes the named character of Chaos, essentially, to take them on. Head to head. Effectively,
0: they are not a unit that you should ever be, even with a hero unit taking one on one.
1: Yeah, it's they are big and they are scary. So they're sent they're, they're sending their entire chapter to the Mannheim gap and they are told they need to destroy this factory. And when doing so, they'll be able to destroy the void shields and then they'll have the people above them nuke it from orbit.
0: The only way to be sure. Yeah. Here's a picture of a Stompa next to a... Um,
1: a Lucius Pattern Warhound.
0: Yeah, a Warhound.
1: For 3 6 or
0: $9. You can um, see how big a stampa is.
1: <laughs> someone goes, oh, but actually, if I just log on to my Brave browser.
0: Oh, goodness. Yeah, that too. Feel um, free to Google anything we talk about. It's fine. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it with your phone. You'll get an idea. Yeah.
1: That'll be great. Well, it'll be like... It's like we're looking at it together. But not. <laughs> time travel. So they go to the Manheim Gap. There's 500 space marines with the various characters and, you know, vehicles and the, the, everyone, every surviving member of the Celestial lines is there now. They've already made like five Stompas. They're not equipped to deal with five Stompas. They charge in regardless, because that is the job they have to do. And you're a space marine, you don't really retreat that often. They go in, and They're kind of kicking ass, all 500 of them working together in unison, in tandem, taking on this green horde, this sea, being only filled not by verticality, but by density of orcs as they're cutting through them. Suddenly, sergeants, captains, apothecaries, librarians, one by one start falling, being shot in the head by something up in the ridgeline, some things up in the ridgeline. They don't know what's happening. This accuracy, it's unknown to them. These orc snipers begin taking out the leadership. Anyone with heraldry, anyone who is trying to capture Gene Seed, anyone giving orders to the point where it's now sergeants being sniped because they're the only ones there to actually give commands. Yeah,
0: orc snipers strike a lot, especially where you don't think orc snipers will be or especially in areas where orcs wouldn't use snipers.
1: Yes, orc <laughs> snipers is the coming is the, the inquisition the, uh, is the inquisition is vindicare assassins
0: is a big fan of utilizing orc sniper <laughs> yes in in their reports when they can't explain a phenomenon yeah yeah it, it's like yeah.
1: the aurora borealis
0: it's orc snipers yeah. Yeah, it's just orc snipers it's fine
1: and it, it and it's insane um that's why there was that art we were showing earlier of a celestial line using a, a power fist on a uh Vindicare to Assassin. vaporize
0: a Vindicare Assassin. Yeah.
1: And that's actually Vaporizing. why, even for tournaments, I don't run uh, the Officio Assassinorum with my Celestial Lions.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. So just, why are the Celestial Lions your favorite?
1: The Celestial Lions are my favorite because you need... I'm not done with the story, by the way.
0: Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, no, sorry. No, <laughs>
1: we're no. We're not at the best part yet. We're just before it. They retreat. There's only, like, two actual... Leaders left, and it's a very important note. They call their their different like to equivalent uh, make its equivalent HQ choices. They call them different names. They have essentially different names for all of them. For example, uh, the chaplain is a death speaker. Uh, the apothecary is a life binder. Got it. Okay. Uh, sergeant is a pride leader, and the war leader is the captain. I like to call the chapter master the pride master. Have, okay, as you guys have seen, and uh, the guys have actually read out some of my fan fiction, it's so great. But the Celestial Lions, <laughs> one death speaker, he is friends with Grimaldus the Black Templars, who is just winning, and I believe it was Hell's, uh, Hell's Reach or Helm's something, yeah, uh, Hell's, Hell's Reach, Hell's
0: reach. Yep.
1: yeah, and Hell's Reach just finishing that up. A Storm Eagle is sent out or one of their transport ships is sent out it crashes in the storm just actual bad luck this time nothing in inquisition style just crashes in a big ass
0: not an orc storm
1: <laughs> not an orc storm no not even a derude sandstorm just a regular old storm and so they find it and they give the message to grimaldus it is an amazing quote grimaldus they lied to us about the Mannheim gap they sent us there to die. You know of whom I speak. We cannot outrun the echoes of Qatar. We pay the price now for our virtue in the past. Celestial Lions will never leave this world. A handful of us remain, but we know the truth. We died at the Mannheim Gap. We died the day the sun rose over the scrap iron bodies of alien gods. A message for Black Templar's reclusiarch, Merrick Grimaldus, from Celestial Lions' death speaker jill kakara very nice he died the day after he and the apothecary died the day after they found the apothecary leaning against their only land raider gene seed stolen and a bullet in his head so they have i believe somewhere between 50 to 80
0: space marines left surviving celestial alliance. yes
1: and it's they're led by a single sergeant or, in their case, uh, a pride leader, a Akene Dubaku. Grimaldus gets the message, and he and Jokar were actually close friends. This cuts back to that Feast of Blades. It's the Feast of okay. Blades, I can't believe, I remembered it, where the uh, all the successor chapters come together. They were friends. They essentially, they they went to Bible school together, kind of thing.
0: Right, right.
1: And so he, to once again throw that uh, My- uh, Michael Jordan meme, Grimaldus took that personally, and he then requisitioned permission from Helbrick to go down there. He went down there with, uh, I believe his name was Cyrac, a up-and-coming chaplain being mentored and tutelaged by Grimaldus at that point. And they go down there and they realize how terrible everything was. So Grimaldus calls every favor he can and restructures and reorganizes pretty much the entire front on that planet to do what he needs to do. and. Akeni Dubaku asks them to actually lead them in their death charge. They are going to go back to Mannheim. They are going to finish the job. He leads them. Five celestial lions survive. Holy shit. Akeni Dubaku loses an arm and a leg to the war boss. And Akeni Dubaku told Grimaldus, you are not taking this kill from me. So as the two of them are one v one this big ass war boss in a sea of ceramite and in Armageddon Steel Legion uh, supporting them. With I think a Titan or a Knight household, they are one v ing this dude in the in this mosh pit of murder, right. and Grimaldis is actively choking him with the chain that connects his power weapon. Hey, you can see it right there? That's exactly what happened. It's an amazing art. It's actually my wallpaper for my my computer. Nice. He chokes on chokes him, and Akemi Dubaku basically puts him down like a dog with his bolt pistol as he's out of ammo forced to use his knife and pistol at this point the survivors are brought to Helbrecht, who personally awards them his several trophies of his armory he gives a kenny Dubaku this relic terminator armor and gives him cybernetic implants to basically offset being a, a cripple right. and then he gives him Syrac grimaldus's uh basically basically apostle who now became a chaplain because of the Mannheim gap charge that they did and a bunch of other black templars and a bunch of ships and then he sent a message out to the inquisition saying these guys are the recognize their own chapter i have blessed this person to be the chapter master i consider them black templars if you fuck with them i fuck with you and then right. two years later a caldus assassin pretending to be a, a, a one of the um Emissaries for an entirely different space marine chapter came and decapitated a Kenny Dubaku. Hmm. And that's my favorite part right there. Despite the fact that he survived, he gets killed anyways. And now there's this right. lingering threat of the Black Templars to wage their war against the Inquisition. Right. And the tinfoil hat theory of mine is during that Feast of Blades, they're going to tell all the other Imperial Fists and all the other executioners and the Crimson Fists, everyone. And there's going to be a long line of power-armored Ceramite making their way to Terra. And then, bitten. you know, they had 8th edition starting and the world split in half, so that's kind of like on hold.
0: Yeah. Yeah, a lot of stuff got kind of... The Cichadrix melodictum threw a bunch of, of ongoing plots into the blender, which was yes. a good thing. Which was a good thing. So what what are their colors? Because I've seen the two different color schemes. They are
1: and blue. Okay.
0: Some people like to do
1: so. I paint. I originally painted mine as like a dusty, like desert yellow. Okay. And then my firstborn is gold, but I'm I'm going just for the gold, true and true. Right. Uh, it's it's gold and blue, and the uh the essentially the ain't the angels of death little whatever chess piece part that's black.
0: Okay. So this so this golden black color scheme isn't necessarily off. It's just that these pauldrons should be bluer, like more the navy and bluer. less.
1: Okay. Captains, uh, and lieutenants—basically, a, a leadership position, quote unquote. Their helmets are actually painted black to differentiate them from others. So, if you okay. see a black helmed guy, he's like a sergeant or a captain,
0: or gotcha. a lieutenant. Okay.
1: Um, a big thing about their culture—they're heavily based off of like African culture. They have this, uh, and it's part of the reason why I like them is because they have this very unique flavor to them. This right. little spark of ember of hope that's in this ocean of like edgy depression. Right. They have they have this thing where whenever a new person comes in, they say, earn your food and fire. You sit down and you tell stories you talk about when you hunted, whatever. Talk about the time you went on a crusade. You talk about all these different things. This they actually promote a loving brotherhood for each other and they support each other this nobility they're 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 what we've romanticized knights to be minus right. the high goth yeah
0: yeah that's cool man I like i like that look at that power sword
1: <laughs> it's so good i love i love the art on this one where they have well it almost looks like they take like this blueprint schematic to like the nth degree and you have like the gold etchings across it where it looks like they're doing uh they're like putting like plans and like all these different uh like equations and graphs all over them. Yeah,
0: like subdivision lines. Yeah, it's cool.
1: Yeah, those are the celestial lines, and they—the last time they were referenced, it was in one of the newer Emperor Spears books. And basically, the Emperor Spears, the Inquisition lost their gene seed, which means to me, because they had to send everything out. I'm going to go with the worst option available, and they sent custodies to their death with gene seed. Possibly and the emperor. And the Emperor's spears had to give them Primaris gene seeds so they could make Primaris units in their armies. Yeah,
0: yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happened. Like, like if they do anything with the Celestial Lions. And there there's a couple of the other chapters that kind of ended up in that like basically all dead range. Then you always kind of wonder like. What might they do with this moving forward? Or is this it? Or or did they leave it ambiguous on purpose so we could do what we wanted with it?
1: GW actually recently released a Celestial Lions model recently, Brother Baku. Uh, it was part of that like retro, like firstborn line of like a bunch of successors. It's like he's got a he's got like a grenade vest and he's ready. He's primed a grenade to throw it. And I love it. A uh, B-A-K-K-U. Yeah, that's the guy. Oh, cool. Yeah, from the Space Marine Adventures.
0: Oh, OK. Very cool. Yeah, it's. I love it. That's a pretty dope model, actually. I like that. A sculpt is pretty good. Whoa, that's a huge picture. Yeah, a sculpt (laughs) is pretty cool. I like all the grenades. Yeah. Well, guys, that was just a taste of what is out there as far as Space Marine lore goes. The Legions will all get their own deep dive focuses, and we will also be visiting each of these chapters and some of the conflicts that we've mentioned in more detail in future episodes. It's kind of our thing, man. Kind of getting into lore, you know? I want the... Carl,
1: get the lore! (laughs)
0: <laughs> want to let us know about your favorite legion or chapter get into contact with us about any of our episodes or the show itself through email at under of madness at gmail.com you can also join our community on discord we talk about the lore hobby and tactics of warhammer 40k plus other topics like warhammer age of sigmar magic the gathering role-playing games video games and much more you can also find Ickbard on our discord he's one of our community managers Hi. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, under the com. Speaking of Iqbard as our community manager, Ikbard, where can listeners keep up with you and your content? Well,
1: right now, I am co-hosting live streams with Handicrafts on YouTube. That's Revan's Handicrafts on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 5.30 PST. We paint. We play on TTS. We have a monthly game where everyone who don't knows and, um, uh, sends- oh, is that
0: the cursed one?
1: Yes. Those are our cursed Okay. Ones. We have, we have, like, we have, Twitch Plays TTS, Ickbard's minor <laughs> inconveniences and nice. Ickbard's curses. Nice. Uh, so we're, we're, we're keeping that tradition alive. Um, yeah. we talk about many amazing things like did that shrimp fry that rice? Um, <laughs> like often about things that make the, uh, the viewer feel old. Like, Hey, Gabo, did you know that Monster Energy Drink was uh, only started production in 2002? Uh,
0: yes, kind of. Do you know that the headquarters of Monster Energy Drink is Hanson Sodas, which is located in Riverside, California?
1: Okay, that one backfired. Did you know that <laughs> that Lion King is over 26 years old?
0: Yes, I did.
1: <laughs> why, why are you bringing this shit up? Because that's part of the stream, because... Uh, <laughs> Handy Are you trying I... to make my knee hurt? I don't yes. understand. <laughs> yes, there's a storm coming. My knee's telling me. It's my uh... lumbago. No, so Handy and I have this thing where stream now dignifies us only as boomers.
0: Yeah, so that, we, that happens. So we
1: bring up we bring up things that make stream feel immaturely uh, young while i also make handy feel extremely old even though he's not even yeah
0: old. i was gonna say all you have to be to be classified as a boomer nowadays is over 25 i know
1: right isn't it it's very
0: strange it is very strange i'm not even a boomer and i'm i'm a i'm a geriatric millennial which they used to call a cusp gen xer but apparently <laughs> now we have a new name because the news is weird yeah uh, you can you find
1: st- us you can find us on he streams on twitch and on youtube he also makes some amazing youtube videos you'll also see me in a couple of those as well that's revans handicrafts r-e-v-e-n-n apostrophe s handicrafts and are, that's are you still doing that's the, the entire joke
0: are you still doing the instagram stuff or no it's no. been a bit no all right well then uh, i won't send people to look to stalk you on instagram
1: <laughs> i haven't posted there for a while to be honest I need to up my painting game. I've gotten, like, to, to quote the mad lad himself, Riddick, I've gotten soft. I need to get <laughs> back. I need to get back into it.
0: You need to get back here. What does he say? My primal edge oh or whatever. And Speaking then he of breaks, the Claws and then
1: persona, my primal edge.
0: <laughs> and then he re-breaks his own leg and buries himself in a tomb <laughs> to heal. God. Oh, my God. The fucking Riddick movies. All right. Well, as always, we will have spellings and links down in our show notes. You can help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. We are on Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, and many more. You can also support us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash under the eye of madness. All Patreon members get access to a video podcast so you can see our beautiful faces and check out all of our amazing blunders all patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contest plus we have higher perks at other levels so go on over and check that out uh we are still doing giveaways however because i was in china for because i'm basically going to be in china until late january We will probably be doing a batch of giveaways to make up for December and January, since we haven't done those giveaways, November, December and January, since we haven't done those giveaways yet. So keep an eye out for that. Or if you're interested in getting involved with any giveaways, and this is the first time you've heard of it, that's a place to figure all that information out is over there on Patreon.
1: It's where all the cool kids are, because I'm there.
0: That's right. Devil's Comet Amasek, made from only the purest and eldest comet melt-off, harvested from the deepest regions of the Imotis ice Icefield. Distilled by House Kostanis, right here on Level 2, a proud sponsor of the Glacial Marauders.
1: Not like a fake fake advertisement, this is a real fake advertisement.
0: That's right, this is a real fake ad read. <laughs> The Hellish Banshees of Discordance, the Pirates of the Innsmouth Vox Waves. We are 665.66UHMR ChemRat Radio, reminding all of you ChemRats, Hive Mice, and some Ghoulies to keep those dials fixed right here. Same ratty frequency for a dose of the same ratty-ass attitude. In the underhives gloom where danger does swoon, hear this warning, my child, neath the cold haunting moon. Beware the emperor's arms of four they roam. Stay close, stay in sight. Never stray far from home. And read a book.
1: Spay new to your squigglins.
0: <laughs> Is that like spay new to your best friend?
1: No, no, it's <laughs> like <laughs> a small it's the park. Yeah. <laughs>